Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Well, hello, table friends. If you have Bibles, go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And to set it up, just remembering where we've been, uh, the apostles, uh, in particular Peter, were preaching the gospel in Jerusalem just after the ascension of Jesus. Remember, 3,000 were added to their number on one day. They went from 120 Christians to 3,120 Christians, started the first small group system, meaning in homes, and then Peter is going around preaching the gospel boldly, and people are coming to put faith in him, but also the religious leaders are getting a little nervous, and so they are trying to bring him in and question him and give him the Spanish Inquisition, and he is passing, and they are beating him up, and they're releasing him, and he's going out and continuing to preach the gospel to everybody because he wants everybody to come to believe in Jesus. And all these people are coming to believe in Jesus. And this really cool thing happens at the back half of chapter 4, where we were last week, where all these Christians begin looking around at the various needs of people inside of the church community. And they say, hey, you know what? I have some extra land. Can I sell this? And can I give people the money, give, give the apostles, give the pastors the money, and let them to distribute as much as people have need. And so all these people were selling their land. All of the uh, like lawyers who are dedicated to land acquisition are making lots of money. And they're even taking a percentage of their profit and they're giving it to the church so that the church can redistribute to make sure everybody has something so everybody gets something out of the experience. Well, this has become a popular thing. And at first you had a lot of really devoted Christians who are selling land and giving to the church. But then as is always the case, after a while, you've got a couple of people who aren't so devoted and they start trying to get in on the action because maybe they want a little pat on the back. Maybe they want to be able to flex a little bit with their friends. So they sell land and they're now bringing it, uh, bringing the proceeds to the church, but they're holding some back. In particular, there's two people named Ananias and Sapphira. And we are going to look at what happens to their life today. There's something really important that we learn from their life and their death today. And to, and to set all that up, let me just kind of tell you this story. Um, a few years ago, I, especially when we had our second kid or we were about to have our second kid, um, I moved from my original truck to my new truck. And um, in my old truck, there were just things that were going wrong. The engine needed work, whatever. And the lights would come on the dashboard all the time. And I would just be like, oh man, I can't wait till I get a new truck. Well, uh, eventually through some you know circumstances, I got a new truck. And I remember, you know, it's this new truck. It's now big enough for four people instead of for three people. So my whole family could fit inside of it. And um, I'm driving around in Texas where I was living at the time. And I mean, within the first day or two, this light popped up on my screen uh, on the dashboard there. And it said, uh, you know, low tire pressure. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh my goodness, I just got this new truck. I thought if I got a new truck, if I got a new car, then maybe these dashboard lights wouldn't pop up. And I was just so mad at myself and just kind of second guessing the new truck and, you know, buyer's remorse and all this stuff. And it just really, it bothered me to a great uh, extent. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences before with your vehicle. Or maybe you haven't had that with your vehicle, but maybe you're watching this and you've had one of those experiences before uh, in the Christian life. In other words, you've thought, once I follow Jesus, all these other things will just go away. No more uh, 
the dashboard lights will pop up on my spiritual dashboard telling me warning, warning, danger. In fact, you might be thinking kind of like one of my friends was thinking this week. He texted me and here's what he said to me. He said, Doug, why is it so hard to fear or why is it so hard when you're a believer to still have fear? In other words, why is it so hard if I'm a believer? Why has fear come up and why is fear so difficult to deal with? As a believer, should, the, the implication there is, shouldn't I be able to handle fear more easily if I'm a believer? Or maybe the implication is, now that I'm a believer, shouldn't fear just go away? Shouldn't it never enter again? Shouldn't it never pop up on the dashboard of my life? And I think many of us who are walking through this coronavirus experience are thinking much the same thing. We're going, hey man, I'm following Jesus. Shouldn't fear and anxiety and sadness just go away? Shouldn't I be happy all the time? Shouldn't everything just be sunny every day all the time? Shouldn't these bad emotions go away? And the answer is the same answer for my truck as it is for our lives. Um, the dashboards on our vehicles are there to tell us when something's going wrong. I don't want the dashboard in my truck to stop telling me when I have low tire pressure. If I have low tire pressure in my truck, it's doing its job to alert me that I have low tire pressure so I can do something with it. Similarly, in the Christian life, you want your emotions to alert you to what's going on, fear and sadness and happiness and anxiety. You want them to come on the dashboard of your spiritual life and alert you to what's going on so that we can do something with it. The reality about being a mature Christian is not that we don't have fear anymore. Fearless Christianity is actually immature Christianity. Mature Christianity is you, you are aware of the fear in your life, but you know what to do with it. In other words, you know who to take it to. You know how to take it to Jesus so that he can calm your fears. And the big aha I want us to understand today is that fear is an integral part of the Christian life. And it's commonly associated with faith all throughout Scripture. But the difference between an immature person and a mature person is that the mature person knows what to do when he's afraid. And so with Acts chapter 4 and 5 open, I want us to look at this really quickly and just notice how fear plays a role in this story. I'm going to start in Acts 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. This is really interesting. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And great, notice this word, notice this word here, great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out. And buried him. Okay, now I want you to notice this is Ananias's response, but Sapphira is going to come a little bit later. She had to take the kids to soccer practice, so she didn't get to come bring her proceeds till later. So notice what happens in verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. In other words, do you sell it for full price and give us the proceeds? And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Wow. 
Verse 10, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, what's going on here? Um, why did the church react with fear? Shouldn't the church have been believers at this point? And go, oh, no, we're not afraid. We just understand this is how God operates. Like, why was it that the church was able to kind of observe all of this and still have fear? Well, the reality is because fear is an integral part of the Christian life. And mature believers know how to manage that fear. These believers, the believers who were afraid, they were the mature ones. The immature Christians in this passage are Ananias and Sapphira. They operated without awareness of the fear of God, and they ended up in a worse place. And so we see here this very beautiful picture of the Christian life, the reality, the real definition of what it means to be a Christian. Fearless Christianity or Christianity that's unaware of what it should be afraid of is a very immature, a very irresponsible Christianity. Christianity that is very aware of fear, that's keenly aware of what fear is and when to be afraid, that is a mature Christianity. Okay? And so the goal in life is not to be someone who's a Christian who never has any fear. When I was growing up, we had this t-shirt company called No Fear. And it was like, yeah, I live this life. I have no fear. It was a really cool brand. You should Google search it later. But immature Christianity is no fear Christianity. Mature Christianity is Christianity that understands the place of fear as a dashboard on your spiritual life and knows what to do with it. And so just to illustrate this a little bit further, when I, let me tell you this story. When I was in seminary, uh, I had this friend named Casey, and Casey played uh, football uh, in college, and he was a really big dude. And I would just every so often I would say, "Hey, tell me football stories." And he told me this one time he was a uh, defensive lineman, and he said the guys in the defense uh, they would go to bars. Their games were on uh, fri uh, Saturday nights. They would go to bars Friday nights. And I was just like, "Wow, this is really weird." It would it would seem that in an athletic competition, uh, you would not want to get liquored up Friday night. You would maybe want to get hydrated with water, not alcohol, because, you know, alcohol dehydrates you, water hydrates you. And when you play football game for three, four hours, you know, you lose a lot of sweat. So, you know, I just I, this struck me very odd. So I was asking, I was like, well, why did y'all go drinking on Friday nights if you had games on Saturdays? And he said, you know, I would ask my teammates that same thing. And this was always their response. In the middle of their revelry, in the middle of their partying, they would just kind of have this kind of cocky attitude with a you know, beer in their hand. They'd be like, <laughs> what's coach going to do? Not start us? And I always laughed at that and thought that was such a funny response because it indicated a very immature person who says, the greatest fear I have is of not starting. I'm not afraid of the coach. I'm not afraid of anything else. In fact, I'm not afraid at all because I'm such a good athlete that the coach is under obligation to start me in the football game. And that's a picture of immaturity. And it's a picture of an immature uh, person as it relates to Christianity. Can you imagine the kind of person that goes, what's God going to do? Strike me down dead if I don't bring in my whole proceeds to give to the church? And the answer is yes, that's what he'll do. Ananias and Sapphira were so immature in their faith, or they weren't Christians at all, maybe, we don't know, that they didn't appropriately fear who God was. They thought, this is good enough. Me lying to the church is good enough. They had no fear. And they were incredibly, incredibly immature. And they were incredibly dead. The true Christians in this picture is everybody else who was afraid of God because they were 
uh, people who were mature and understood that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 1.7, if you go back and read that as a cross-reference, uh, Solomon teaches us to fear God is the beginning of Christian faith. It's the beginning of maturity. Fearing God is a core part uh, of what goes on uh, in following Jesus. The, the issue I think we're really, really, really concerned about right now is not that we um, are afraid of God. I think our concern is that we're afraid of other things more than we're afraid of God. That's the concern for Christians. It's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to be afraid of other things more than you're afraid of God. At the end of the day, what mature believers do with fear is they go, oh man, I'm really afraid of these circumstances. But... I fear God way more than I fear these circumstances because he's the one who created the universe and sustains me. And if, as long as I'm in right relationship with him, it really doesn't matter how scary the circumstances get because God is the kind of God who splits oceans in half and lets us walk across it, who raises people from the dead. And so no matter how scary it gets in my life, no matter what the circumstances are, I know that my fear is not going to be in my circumstances. My fear appropriately is going to be before God who can give me life and who can take away life. That's where my fear is going to be and mature Christianity. Is Christianity says that my ultimate fear is in who God is and my respect and my worship is in him because he's the one who's ultimately in charge. So what does it look like when we have fear that comes into our lives? The fear hits the dashboard. It's like a warning sign, warning, warning, fear is going on in your life. What do mature people do with that? I think there's two things they do. Number one, they pray. They pray to God and a, a quote that I would give to you guys is this. Remember when you're afraid to pray as you can, not as you can't. There is this uh, Catholic uh, abbot, um, which was like a, a, an official title of a, of a kind of Christian leader in Europe. And he said, pray as you can, not as you can't. This is this famous line. Um, and again, I think when we're afraid, sometimes we go, oh man, I couldn't possibly pray right now because I'm, I'm too afraid. And God will see my prayer and go, why are you so afraid? But what this abbot, one abbot, one Christian leader tells us is, hey, when you're afraid, pray, but pray as you can, not as you can't. Don't get worried about how you can't pray. Don't get anxious that your prayers aren't good enough. When you pray to God in the midst of fear, you are telling him, I fear you more than I fear these circumstances. So I'm going to pray to you. I'm not going to pray to my circumstances. And listen, God respects that. God understands that. God hears you. And keep in mind, God is a loving father who wants you to come to him when you're scared. Just like with my kids, I know when they're scared, I'm happy when they come in. If there's a thunderstorm and they run into my room and wake me up in the middle of the night, I am happy for them to be in there because I can take care of them. And likewise, when you're afraid and you pray to God, he wants to take care of you. Because he's your loving father, uh, and he wants you to have good things, including comfort. So the first thing we can do is we can pray. Second thing we can do is this. We can ask ourselves this question. What is the next little step I can take on my faith journey? What is the next little step I can take on my faith journey? And keep in mind this. Incremental faith. Incremental faith is insistent faith. Sorry, I had to look at my notes here. Let me say that one more time. Incremental faith is insistent faith. Little step after little step after little step. Man, I'm afraid. I don't know if I can take this. Let me take one little more step. A continual pattern 
of little steps, believing Jesus, continuing to trust Jesus, that is an insistent faith. It doesn't go away. It's unstoppable. It keeps moving. Okay. There's a story in the New Testament Jesus tells. He says there's this, um, well, it's not really a story. It actually happened. But this woman who is half Jewish, half non-Jewish comes and is trying to get some table scraps. And the people at the table are kind of going like, woman, go away. We're, this is our meal. Like, quit trying to butt in. And she keeps coming. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. And finally, Jesus says, woman, why are you causing this disturbance? And she basically says to him, um, hey, I knew that if I talked to you, I knew that if I asked, you would give me something because that's the kind of person you are. And he kind of has this philosophical conversation with her, but she keeps coming at it. And ultimately, Jesus kind of has this teachable moment where he looks and says, guys, this is faith right here. This is the thing. It's the little incremental, continual pressing and prodding and poking and leaning in. That is the kind of faith that it takes to make it in this world because it's a faith that is confident in the object of our faith. She was confident in who Jesus was and knew if she just kept going to him, that he would be a good God who gives her uh, what she needed. And that's the thing. So the the question we can ask ourselves is, what's the next little step? Okay, maybe I can't take a big step right now. Maybe I'm a little too afraid to leap that much. Okay, what's some positive, small distance I can travel in my faith? Uh, maybe for you it's, hey, I, I can work on, um, you know, I, I pray two times a week. Maybe I could work on trying to pray three times a week. Maybe I could just extend my prayer time by one minute. Maybe I could just stay locked in for a little bit longer and expand my attention span. Maybe for you, it's I could sing another worship song. I could replace some worship music with the non-worship music I play in Spotify when I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Maybe it's I could read just a few more sentences in my Bible. Maybe it's I could, uh, I could actually finally jump into that Zoom life group I've been meaning to go to, but I'm a little bit nervous to go to. I can just kind of jump in and try to, try to spend five to ten minutes there hanging out with some people on Zoom. Whatever it is, what's the next little step you can take in following Jesus. Now I want to end by just telling you this story here because I think it's a great visual of the kind of faith that Jesus expects of people. And it's the kind of faith that frankly Ananias and Sapphira did not demonstrate. The faith in the face of fear. Um, uh, Natalie and I had this uh, older air conditioner in our house and um, uh, every so often it, it, it starts to flood and, and it backs up. And so there's a tray that catches everything and water fills up and it starts spilling over. And normally we could catch it because, you know, we're, we're you know, pretty attuned to all that stuff. But uh, I remember one day I came in and in the garage we looked up and there was just water coming down. And I went and checked, and sure enough, the tray had overflown in the second floor, and it started spilling over the tray, and then it was dripping down onto the sheetrock ceiling for a period of time, and it got so dense that water started coming through the sheetrock ceiling. And I thought about that uh, air conditioner and wondered if I could have a conversation with the air conditioner, what it might go like. Because I'm sure the air conditioner had, has met me before and knows that when it tries to overflow, I come in and I'm like, uh-uh. You are not overflowing a day. I'm going to drain you. There's going to be no water up in here. And I just imagine this kind of farcical conversation I could have with the air conditioner. You know, it's thinking to itself. It's having some anxiety. The air conditioner goes, you know, I tried to, you know, I tried to kind of do my thing and drip water out. But Doug was too quick and he kind of stopped that. And then I realized there was finally the impenetrable enemy there in this. And that was the sheetrock. I mean, sheetrock, if you've ever looked at it, is really, really hard. And all I have working against uh, sheetrock there is the small, single drip of water. 
And really, at the end of the day, what's a small single drip of water going to do to this mighty piece of sheetrock? That, that water is going to hit the sheetrock and it's going to bounce off. And then another drip's going to hit and it's going to bounce off. And oh my goodness, there's nothing really I could ever do to penetrate that sheetrock because it's sheetrock. All I've got is this little water. But yet the air conditioner continued to drip and drip and drip and drip and drip. And finally, on the 1,000th or the one millionth drip, the water penetrated the sheetrock and broke through the ceiling. And that's the picture of faith in the midst of fear. I know this thing over here, these circumstances seem impenetrable. I know that whatever's going on in my world, man, I lost my job. I'm now on furlough and I just don't know what's going on. It just seems like it's going to overwhelm me. And man, there's, there's just seems like there's nothing I can do in the midst of all of this. But that next incremental step, drip, that next thing, drip, go into that Zoom life group, drip, praying just a few minutes more, drip, reading just a little bit more, drip, singing just another worship song, drip, having a conversation with a good Christian friend, drip, and who knows what might happen. There might be this breakthrough, this spiritual breakthrough in your life where God gives you a vision of what's next and he brings peace and he brings provision and he brings confidence and things that are going on. And listen, this is not you working your way towards the cross. This is you confident of the cross before you working your way from the cross towards whatever it is God has next in your life and trusting him. What do mature Christians do in light of fear? They continue to trust Jesus and they continue to do what's right, even if it's a small step at a time. So I want to encourage you guys today with that. Whatever it is that God has before you, continue to pray as you can, not as you can, and continue to take the next little step in following Jesus. And who knows what God might do? He might break through in your lives. I want to pray with you. Jesus, I pray for breakthrough. This is a really interesting set of circumstances. What a great opportunity for breakthrough. Jesus, help us to continue knowing the object of our faith and expressing faith towards that object. And Jesus, keep reminding us of how much you love us and how much you want to hold us in the middle of storms because you are a good Savior and a good Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.